I think that art and science are just part of the same conversation we as humans have with nature and with the world around us. The only difference is that art and science uses different sets of tools to, to talk to nature and to, to the world. I would say that, I mean, there are different ways to put it, but there has to be something deep happening, uh, something deep going on. And uh, superficiality and say, oh, it's fun, it's this, it's that, it never really moves into anything serious. And by serious, I don't mean it's not fun, it's not crazy. I mean that something really happens. There is a lot of blah, blah. That is pollution. <laughs> Thank you for joining the Art Meets podcast brought to you by the Swiss Arts Council, Poilvizia, within the frame of its focus on art, science, and technology. Listen to collaborators from the arts and sciences explore ideas, methods, and experiments of co-creating. Sometimes collaboration begins long before even knowing that it might become a thing. This is Art Meets Environmental Studies. I'm Jennifer Kakshuri and my guests are scientist Jorge Vinuales and sound artist Sebastian Verea. Jorge Viñuales is an environmental law professor at Cambridge University. He's a researcher and writer and also happens to be a long-time friend, probably since we have consciousness. His name is Carlos Sebastián Verea. Everyone knows him as Sebastián. He is uh, what you would call an autodidact. He's uh, very, very talented. He grew up with me in Argentina, in Buenos Aires province, And since kindergarten, we are together. And then he moved to Geneva. I would like to define him as something, but it's very difficult to do it because he can, he can pretty much do uh, everything he wants to do. To me, he's also like, um, well, my best friend and, and also, of course, like a reference point where I keep coming to discuss things and talk about my work and, and his work. And probably one of the most intelligent persons I, I've ever known. <laughs> he would be sitting somewhere in the place, sipping a, a coffee, because we're both coffee lovers. He would be surrounded by all sorts of technology. The technology would be dangerously close to the coffee. He's highly confident in what he's doing all the time. He sees things with a very sharp sensibility, and he is a really loyal person. He will always sort of be patient and handle things and always find a way to do it. That is something that makes him very easy to deal with professionally as well. At the same time, he can say no, and that's very important. Sebastian is in Buenos Aires in his sound studio and Jorge usually lives in Geneva and Cambridge. When we record our conversation, he's somewhere else. Right, yes, I'm in Italy, in Sardinia. Usually I spend two months a year somewhere trying to write, as I say, away from work, but actually it's working from away. Switzerland, Great Britain or Sardinia. All countries are far away from Argentina. But the fraternal bond between Jorge and Sebastian is stronger than any geographical distance. Their friendship is as old as they are, and steady as steel. How long have they collaborated? Always. Yeah. We made music together yeah. when we both lived in Argentina. We did it for a, for a long, long time. And these kind of collaborations we're doing now, it may appear that they are new ways of collaborating. But actually, a couple of months ago, I was in my parents' house and I found a notebook with ideas Jorge and I 
was kind of diving into at the time. I think we were, I don't know, 16, 17 years old when we wrote that. And uh, we were speculating about how to create a spiral song, spiral music, something that defies the laws of time. And so, and we were always kind of diving into that kind of things and speculating about stuff and making projects together. And even before then, Sebastian, you will recall that actually when we were learning English in the same sort of little school, there was a course that we took uh, in La Barria, which is a town where we were born, and we were learning English in the same place, so the, the very basic sort of stuff. And we were asked to prepare presentations. We were probably 10, 12, I can't remember, but really, really young. And we were, we were making presentations together about the Titanic and, and these kind of things using National Geographic. And I would go to Sebastian's house and I would eat all the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Sebastian, my mother, always reminds me I was able to eat. Uh, there was a sort of chocolate with, uh, I mean, a Swiss chocolate, by the way, that had like, uh, I don't know if, if some, uh, some, you know, trick, some special thing there. Grapes. And, <laughs> grapes, exactly. I, I would devastate the chocolate. I would go through it like a storm and <laughs> devastate it entirely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my parents always remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plundering chocolate supplies, composing and playing music, preparing presentations for English classes, partners in crime since childhood. The two approach projects in the same way today as they did as children and as teens. Complexity never scares them. Jorge, the professor and founder of the Cambridge Center for Environment, Energy and Natural Resources Governance, and Sebastian, the composer and producer. Among many other projects, they created the installation called Sounds of the Anthropocene. I remember precisely the day we came up with that idea. We were having lunch in Buenos Aires, and I was talking to Jorge about this idea I had of kind of turning the whole, it may sound somehow like a really crazy idea, but turning the whole planet into a musical score and somehow have the rotation of the planet as the main compass play in it or something like that. But it was just like a loose idea. And Jorge started talking to me about this concept of Anthropocene. He, of course, was very into it, researching. And he told me something like, there must be a score for that. There you have your score. There are a lot of indicators for the human footprint in the planet. And that was the starting point of this project. Still ongoing. The, the, the interesting thing is that I was, when I, when I mentioned that to Sebastian, of course, if you try to turn quantitative information on indicators on, say, how much carbon dioxide or nitrous oxide or methane or, or black carbon or whatever, or, or how much, you know, nuclear fallout or how much chicken skeletons. And you have plenty of information about what could potentially define the Anthropocene as an epoch in the geological timescale. But uh, if you actually try to move that into a project that would really make that concrete and turn it into a compass and instruments and sound and, and a sound experience, uh, in, I mean, in my experience in the UK and in Cambridge, I mean, with researchers, we would probably ask for a lot of money and, and do it in three years. Uh, Sebastian did it with no money in three months. 
and actually he had to learn astronomy and equations and, and things that I was unable to understand. And he sort of <laughs> figured out, you know, it's a typical, the typical example of, of uh, what I was saying earlier, uh, when I when I sort of describe uh, Sebastian in a nutshell. He would just make it happen and learn whatever is to learn and use what he already knows, but he will make it happen. So it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's astounding. Sounds of the Anthropocene is an installation using all kinds of media played by the rotation of planet Earth and sunlight. What began a few years ago as an installation shown in an art space became, as Sebastian mentioned, an ongoing project involving artists and scientists at the Universidad Nacional de San Martín, where Sebastián founded the Center for Advanced Studies in Arts and Sciences. The latest installation within the Sounds of the Anthropocene project included a concert organ in Buenos Aires. From the newest presentation of the Sounds of the Anthropocene back to the very beginning of the project. In that particular case of the installation we developed, the Sounds of the Anthropocene, we use sounds from plastics, we use sounds from aluminum pieces, we use sounds from sound synthesis, which is the, the most detached sound, because sound synthesis is the somehow the creation of sound out of nothing. And digital sound synthesis is the most artificial, if you want to put it that way, way of making sound. So the score of Sounds of the Anthropocene had these certain kinds of indicators as plastic in oceans, plutonium depositions from nuclear testings and so, overpopulation, etc. So I tried to develop this kind of orchestra of human-made materials, sounds and ideas because music and uh, the notes we use in Western tradition are just ideas, fixed heights of frequencies that we use and we call them notes and we call that music. The issues regarding climate change caused by humans are clear. Jorge points out that it's nevertheless essential to communicate the outcome of research regarding all the changes in every way possible to raise awareness. It's, it's something very important to communicate information because recently you had the one part, the physical science base of the sixth assessment report from the IPCC, so which is the sort of the body that tracks climate science and says where we are. And it's a tragedy because it says that climate change, human-caused climate change is unequivocal. And when you get all this information, which is very technical information, or you get the other type of information, which is uh, very fictional information, sort of novels and movies from Hollywood, you know, the day after tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. When you get all those, those informations, either you have an unreadable narrative, which is the technical quantitative information, or a narrative that is not truthful because it is overstated or sometimes understated. The difficulty there is that all these things have no sense to which you can relate. Whereas in Sounds of the Anthropocene, the way in which we actually tried to explain it to a number of the people that were visiting the installation was, okay, just can you spare two minutes to understand what has happened to the Earth system? 
And the way in which they were going to understand it was not a way in which they would mediate the information with their brain, at least not with their calculation brain, not, not their intellectual brain. They will just enter the room and see and hear what was happening. And you can hear the silence at the beginning. I mean, at the beginning, it's a silence. So you say, nothing has happened here. And but at the very end of the experience, you have to go out of the room because it is strident. It is really too strong. The, the sound is too strong. And the visual imagery is, is also a bit overwhelming. In just a few seconds, you get very clearly what is happening in real time. If you merge arts and science, should the arts bring more emotion to the science? Because it's hard to be emotional about data, except if you interpret it. If you ask me, I think that art and science, they are just ways of expressing with different goals. I mean, so you, you can say that art has no goal, it's not instrumental. I think that art can be instrumental, it has been instrumental. I don't think it should be instrumental. But I think that there is no deep fault line between art, science and other sort of ways of capturing knowledge in ways that can be reproduced. I don't think that there is a difference of nature. So that's my own perspective. Sebastian, do you think of your audience or is it really just the purpose of illustrating something? In my process, I don't commit to illustrate as in, for example, data visualization, which is a, a whole other thing. But I commit to be rigorous about how I treat the information I am given, in this case, but Jorge and his team of researchers. And uh, I try to create an experience, as Jorge mentioned. I, I try to create something that in any way possible moves you if you are immersed in it. And if by doing so, at the same time, the work brings you some insight in what's going on in this particular topic, I'm more than happy. But I don't think art should be informative. But that said, I'm very, very interested in making artists aware of the fact that we cannot treat scientific topics lightly. We shouldn't only be inspired by something. We should really dive into it, research, learn as, as much as possible, because we all have our own set of tools. We can understand certain things, certain things we can't. But we should be really committed to learn what we're talking about. Speaking about tools, Sebastian is interested in expanding whatever it takes to investigate and add knowledge related to his work. In 2019, he was invited to a field trip to Geneva, and the invitation came from the sound and art platform called Incidencia Sonoras, a platform connected to the Proelvetia South America program. Incidencia Sonoras focuses on all kinds of experimental sound and music, improvisation, free jazz and sound art, as well as contemporary classical music. Sebastian met and talked to people from the arts and sciences here in Switzerland and expanded his network. Jorge and Sebastian have known each other all their life and have collaborated as children, youngsters and now as adults. What have they learned from each other? One thing is the most, uh, for me, important learning 
I always take from Jorge, uh, which is discipline. Just sitting down and get things done. I always admire uh, his way of doing it because I'm much more volatile, you know? <laughs> and uh, every time I'm working with him, I kind of get into that mood and get things done. And you, Jorge, what have you learned from Sebastian for your work? Probably the opposite is the eclecticism. It's the fact that anything can happen and you just borrow from whatever it is necessary to borrow and you just uh, accept that you have to learn if there is something you don't understand. The open creativity, the sort of unbridled creativity, which I don't have. <laughs> Discipline and eclecticism in a balance as a way to being open to creativity and working processes. Sebastian Verea and Jorge Vinuales were my guests in the Art Meets podcast, brought to you by the Swiss Arts Council Poervetia, within the focus on art, science, and technology, the focus of Poervetia for the next three years. If you are a scientist or an artist, and you're interested in a collaboration, check out the Puelvetia website. Next time, art meets robotics. For us, the question is, is the architecture that we can then build using robots, does it allow us a different experience of a home, a house? We try to sometimes look at the robot as an animal or as a character, and then it helps us to come up with more pretty human-like movements. Sometimes the robot is purposefully slower or looks lazy. We're at the technical university, so maybe there's less room for animals. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This is a production of the Audiobande, a joint venture for Sound Adventures. <laughs>